the person who gets the deal isn't necessarily the person who has the relationship. It's the person who's top of mind. Absolutely. That's really who it is. So like even realtors are like, I've been in the business 30 years. I have, re I have investor relationships out the wazoo. I'm just the guy who texts them right when they get the listing agreement. They're going to be like, okay, send yeah, it. It's easy. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today, we have Jonah Corchin with Acetla Investments. And Jonah flew in from Denver, Colorado. Talk about how he's doing a million this year through micro-flipping and agent outreach. Now, I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. The information on the show alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you'll take consistent action, you'll become one. And the show is brought to you by our sister company, InvestorLift. Get access to millions of cash buyers across the country. Go to InvestorLift.com. Put in Disruptors to get 10% off. And guys, if you get value out of this show, don't keep us a secret. Please share. Please subscribe. Let other people know what you're learning here. That way we can all grow together. Uh, so you ready? I'm ready as ever. All right, cool. I'm happy. So what was your life like right before you got into real estate? My life was kind of a mess. I mean, I, so here's my story. So I graduated college, went into the Peace Corps, and then COVID happened. So basically, Peace Corps, sorry, I got into, I left the Peace Corps and then I was kind of lost for a while, right? I was a little bit lost. I always had this entrepreneurial vision and dream mm -hmm. of like what I wanted to do. But I did all sorts of different stuff. So I did, like, you know, Gary Vee. Have you ever mm -hmm. seen his, um, his like flipping garage sale stuff? Yeah. I did that. I did like a lot of side venture stuff where I'm like, this is not going to make me rich mm -hmm. at all. This just right. isn't going to make me rich. I eventually go to a real estate investor meetup and I learn about wholesaling. And once I learn about wholesaling, I'm like, wow, this is it. Yeah. This is the best business model ever created ever. I don't need any money. Mm -hmm. I don't need to be Steve Jobs and create a product. I just need to be able to relate to other human beings and solve their problems and then sell a contract. I knew I could do that. Yeah. And so... I was like very lost, not sure what to do. But then when I started hearing about wholesaling, I'm like, that's the one. That was the business I was looking for and just didn't know about it. So you went to college mm -hmm. for what? Uh, econ and poli-sci. Okay. Econ helps, poli-sci not really. Like a little bit, but not really. Yeah. And then you went to the Peace Corps. Mm -hmm. So you were saying you were lost. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're basically trying all these different things. Yeah. It was like stocks, flipping, like garage sale flipping, like all the sorts of things where I'm like, how can, will this, how in the world is any of this going to actually make me rich? The mm -hmm. issue with stocks is it takes a long time to make money. Garage sale flipping, that's Im impossible to scale, mm -hmm. right? And like, you're not going to make that much. Right. There's still, funny enough, in my mom's attic, there's still a bunch of stuff yeah. up there to this day. But Okay, so then you go to this meetup. Uh, you were saying this is right around COVID? It was literally right before COVID. I got the timeline wrong. It was like, literally, I go to the meetup, it's maybe March of 2020, and I think April or May was when it like everything started shutting down. Mm -hmm. It was like literally like COVID's starting to get into the news, but there's no laws that have passed or anything. Mm -hmm. And I just start learning about real estate right then. This was in Denver. This was in California. So I'm from California. I moved to Denver a year ago. Okay. Um, just because I wanted to, and I can do whatever now. But um, this was in California. This was in San Francisco. So yeah, like. It's, it's, I'm starting to learn about wholesaling and then, uh, and then COVID hits. And honestly, for me, I feel like that was one of the best things to happen for me in my journey, because mm -hmm. 
it forced me to not hang out with any of my friends who were not entrepreneurs, right? Because I was living with my parents. They're, I mean, they're not like insanely old or anything, but they're old enough where I was a little worried about COVID, like giving it to them. So I just was like, all right, well, this seems to be the perfect time to just grind. Mm. So yeah, no. Um, anyways, that's how I started and that's how it went. Okay. Uh, so what did you do? You go to the meetup. I'm going to wholesale. Mm-hmm. What'd you do after that? So immediately I start going on YouTube. I, right. I, like I hear about it. They talk about wholesaling and they say, look it up, go onto YouTube. First person I find is Max Maxwell. Mm-hmm. He's this the first one. I think he was really blowing up at he that time. He had the time. biggest reach. Yeah. He had like the biggest reach, especially in 2020. So I was just like watching a ton of his stuff. He was talking about driving for dollars and cold calling and different stuff. So I was doing... I started with just driving for dollars. I had a really, uh, can I swear? <laughs> I don't know if I can swear. Uh, a a really bad, a really bad Scion XA, a 2004 Scion XA that was. Um, that's, the just, bo- that's not the box. That's the. It's basically a box. Okay. It's not like a box box, but anyways, people can look it up. But it's like a, it's like a curved box, yeah. <laughs> more or less. And I'm driving around different places in the Bay Area doing driving for dollars and Something I was telling you about, which I'm really excited to be on this podcast for this, is I was listening to your podcast. I was listening to Real Estate Disruptors while I was doing Driving for Dollars, right? Mm-hmm. I had, um, uh, what's the what's the really deal, deal machine? machine? Deal machine. Mm-hmm. Um, I had Deal Machine, was doing that, sent it, signed up for it, was sending postcards and all that. And I mean, while that was happening, I was just listening to Real Estate Disruptors over and over and over again with different people who... I now get to know like Carlos Reyes, Pace Morby, Jamil Damji, mm-hmm. and like all these people. And so, yeah, man, it's it's a cool full circle to be on Real Estate Disruptors specifically because yeah. I knew you before Jamil and Pace who are now like my main mentors because I'm mm-hmm. part of Sub2 and Astro and their programs. Right. But it's an awesome full circle to yeah. do it. But to answer your question, I did Driving for Dollars. Um, that's what I was doing. And then also I started doing just mojo dialing cold calling yeah um so how was it you're you're doing this in san francisco i'm doing it in the surrounding areas so if you if anyone knows san francisco there's that the actual city which is a peninsula mm-hmm. i live in the east bay i live in a town called el cerrito it's like north of berkeley um for anyone who knows these areas that's mm-hmm. where they're at um but i was doing it mainly in the east bay just driving around there because the city of san francisco is crowded, congested, not like a place you really want to be doing that much driving for dollars. You want to go to like the suburbs where there's like, that's where buyers like it more too, as yeah. I've learned in, in my journey. Gotcha. Okay. So you're driving for dollars, sending postcards, and you're also doing Mojo. Yeah. Which one turns into your first deal? Cold calling. Cold okay. calling turns into it. So my journey, funny enough, is I do it for about a month. And then I remember just being like, I'm not going to sign up for any guru's program. We're not doing it. I'm way too broke. I probably made $5,000 to my name ever, like in total of all the money I've ever made because I was a college student and a Peace Corps volunteer and that's they don't pay you anything. Um, so I have basically nothing in the bank account. But then I'm cold calling and then an ad pops up from Josiah because this was back when Josiah was running that program yep. and not Jamil. And the ad's like, I just remember it basically was like, so like there's a new way of wholesaling where you don't have to cold call anybody Mm -hmm. and i'm like interesting i'll click the ad then i click the ad i get the sales pitch i get closed i put it all on a zero percent interest credit card Mm -hmm. where i'm like all right i got a year to get a deal i should be able to do it if i do the program 
Um, and I started learning, and they're mainly agent outreach and micro-flipping, which we'll get into. Mm-hmm. But I stick to direct-to-seller, and they've done direct-to-seller before, so they still give me the advice. So I did get it from cold calling, and we can get into my first deal, but Josiah was extremely helpful, actually, like helping me yeah. get that because it was pretty nightmarish. Very bad. Why was uh, it nightmarish? <laughs> so... Here was the story. So basically, there was a woman. It was like a condo in um, Antioch, which is like the very outskirts of San Francisco, mm-hmm. like if people know that area. Um, and it turns into a nightmare deal basically just because I just didn't feel like I knew what I was doing. So this woman was selling. Um, her place is actually incredibly nice, probably remodeled in 2010, like needs just updating. Could have easily listed it and gotten money, but she really needed to um, to sell really quickly because she had like a family situation in like New Jersey or something like that. Um, so she was willing to take a discount. And I screwed up the ARV classically because <laughs> I didn't know with condos, if you're not in the same HOA, even if a condo is might even be in the same subdivision, but it's a completely different HOA, then it's gonna the ARV is gonna be different, mm. right? So I'm probably like thirty ish k off of the ARV of where like I thought it would be at, which was very annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just was like it was just such a, just like such a it was so annoying because like I had to do like three showings. This woman is like, what is this guy doing right now? Why is he like? constantly showing up because I didn't know how to set expectations with the seller yet. Mm-hmm. Like it was just like the first deal I have to have to end up renegotiating 10 K, which is just not a fun thing to do on your first deal. Right. And just, I had like a buyer at one point and then they backed out and then I had to find another buyer, um, who put in the EMD and they thank God they closed, but it was just like, for a first timer, it was just a very rough deal to start with. Doesn't sound that different than like most your average deal. I know it I could know. just be because it was your first deal. Exactly. Right. So your expectations, because like we make it look pretty easy on social media, right? Right. Like it's pretty simple. Like oh, you just go and get this person who's interested in a little offer, and then yeah. you show to some people, and then close, and you get this fat check. Yeah. Which is what, what we all desire. We all yearn for this fat check. But then the emotional roller coaster behind all of it is so much. And it was just so much because I was just doing it by myself. Like, I just felt so bad because she had that family situation. I had to renegotiate 10K. And I'm like, God damn it. I hate that I have to do this. But like, also, there just was no room in it at all. Or like, or I just wouldn't have made any money on that one. And I was starving for money because I had put all this, I put the whole program on like a credit card. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was just, it was just rough. But, we eventually we got it done and yeah that was my first deal made nine thousand nine hundred dollars exactly and nice. i still have a check up on my in my little office in my house so very cool Hopefully that was the story it. i definitely cashed it <laughs> i definitely <laughs> cashed it no i definitely cashed it i definitely mob- i mobile deposited it so that i could um so that i could keep the check because i was like i want to keep this i want a reminder of my first deal was like the first one I made. And that's awesome. It's so crazy. that was cold call mojo. Uh, did you cold call like the driving for dollars lead or did you call like a different list? No, I actually got no, I never ended up closing a deal from the driving for dollars lead. Okay. So who'd you call? So I called just a list. I, it was just lists off prop stream, mm-hmm. like tax liens, 
gotcha. um, pre-foreclosures. I think hers, it was a tax lien. I think she had like a tiny tax lien, but that wasn't even her motivation at all. Yeah. But she had like a small tax lien randomly. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, so it wasn't even a strong pain point. No. That was a that was a pain indicator, but had no reason why she was. It selling. had nothing to do with why she was selling, okay. which was nice. So, you're doing direct to seller outreach. You sign up for Astro, mm-hmm. which is not about the focus is not direct seller. Not at all. So, did you continue the direct seller route, or did you modify? So here's what happened. So basically, I I get that ten thousand dollar check, mm-hmm. right? And Jamil and Pace are best of friends, obviously, right? right? Like they're just homies and homies. And Pace mm-hmm. had come on a few times into Astro and he had like just started sub two. I think he started in May and this deal closed in July. Mm-hmm. And I just knew, like I felt it when I, when I saw Pace talk, I'm like, A, I thought creative financing was super interesting. Mm-hmm. I was like, that is super cool because I really want to own houses at some point and I want to know how to do it that way mm-hmm. instead of having to use a bank and go the normal traditional route so uh instead of paying off the credit card i just double down and give the ten thousand dollars to pace basically and i'm just like screw it like with two two mentors i'm gonna get the i'm just gonna get the deal again anyways right Mm -hmm. um but what happens is i start learning the astro method which is through agents and micro flipping and stuff and i also start learning the direct to seller method even more with pace and then what happens is is I try to create basically two businesses at the same time. People don't get this. Direct to agent is not like cold calling and texting. It's like flipping and wholesaling. Mm. They're two different businesses in my opinion. And so if really what needs to happen is 30 realtors need to be called in order to get a deal or 30 sellers, what was happening was 15 and 15. You probably know this, have noticed this, is there's there's a certain threshold where it's like tons of deals. But if Mm. you don't hit the threshold, and you just get no deals. Mm-hmm. So what happened was I tried to do both, all the methods at the same time, and then I just didn't get another deal for eight months. Oh. Yeah, which was rough. And I'm like, this 0% interest is like starting to wear off on, around mm-hmm. me. Um, and what happens is, is I decide, okay, well, I literally don't have any more money to skip trace anything anymore. So we're gonna go the agent route because it's fully free. And then maybe within two weeks of deciding that, I get like a twenty thousand dollar deal because fully, fully committed. Yeah, exactly. Did you not have stimmy money to, to roll through oh, this? That was like what four hundred dollars. That it? <laughs> yeah, that was it. That's all you that got. Was it was like four hundred dollars. <laughs> it's not going to do anything. I skipped trace one list. Maybe <laughs> the stimmy money didn't help at all. But um, the real stimmy money, money, I would have had to start my business in like twenty nineteen, and then you would have gotten like the PPP loans or whatever. Got it. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. So. You go from broke, put this on a credit card. I'm not going to get a guru, but okay, I'll get one guru. <laughs> and then I get two. <laughs> and then you close the deal. It's like, all right, I'm going to get a second guru. I'm going to double down. <laughs> um, and look, guys, like for everyone that's listening, right? Like we're talking like this is 2020. Yeah. Three years ago. Yep. Right? So, all right. So you go and you go commit to agent outreach. Yep. So then what happened after that? So I commit to agent outreach. The business does way, 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 way better. That year, revenue was, I think, half a million, I'm pretty sure. And it was mm-hmm. literally just me. That was only me, just doing agent outreach. Um, around the middle of 2021, I guess we're at at that point, I hire my first VA, which is just an admin VA, just someone who pulls the lists and stuff. Um, 
And yeah, and we close out the le- the year just me and him just doing deals. That and basically I'm just it's I'm like okay, I'm finally committed to one thing. I phased out the direct to seller. This is working really well. I'd rather just focus on it and just make a ton of money because I might that my focus that year was just to be like um I just want like I was just like I just want a ton of money. I want to be able to put some into a bank account. Um which was cool until tax time came around the next year because I'm living in California. I just made $500,000 my overhead because it's agent outreach. There's like no costs. The only overhead I had was I also paid for masterminds of Jamil's and masterminds of Pace's. And then also I joined a, like a, a $30,000 mastermind. Mm-hmm. Those were like all my overhead. So my costs were like 150. So I made 350 K in profit. And then I, and then Next year, I was like, wow, I have a 150K tax bill, mm-hmm. which I'm like, Jesus Christ. And then Pace starts talking more about like, yeah, dude, you should try to buy some real estate. And I'm like, damn, I really need to buy some real estate. So the next year, um, I still mainly focus on the wholesaling because it was like taking up my time trying to figure it out. And I started like scaling and I start hiring more people, hiring VAs, hiring my first acquisition managers. But in 20, where are we at now? We're at like the end of 2021. That's when I bought my first rental, mm-hmm. which was good. Um, but yeah, so I kind of already forgot your question. I don't know where Well, I was let's going. talk about, so you're, you're doing agent outreach, right? Yeah. You're, you're doing lots of deals. Now, this is all in the San Francisco area? This is all in Northern California. Northern almost California. almost exclusively. There were like a few random ones in other places. Like I think I did one in New Mexico, but mostly California. Okay, so you're, you're calling the realtors uh, at this time. Mm-hmm. This is before agent outreach got really, really hot. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about like what, was, what were the reactions from realtors when you were calling? Because this is a hot market. Yeah, California is a hot market. Right, so you're calling a hot market. Like what, what were your challenges in that, that model? The challenges in the agent outreach mark, like model always is just building rapport with the agents and having them understand your value. I think that's the thing that most wholesalers miss is what is your value as a wholesaler to an agent, right? I think really wholesalers and most people in general are always just thinking about how can I benefit from this transaction, sure. right? And you really need to think about, okay, what value am I actually bringing to this agent, mm-hmm. right? And that's how I kind of developed what I call the Scorch method, which is my method of doing agent outreach. It's slightly different than anybody else's that I've personally ever heard of, heard of because it's so much more focused on really directing to the solving of the seller's problem and the agent's problem, but I don't say that. And the reason is, is most people are like, call an agent and are like, hey, I'm a real estate investor. I'm looking for fixers. What do you got? Right? Well, me. Yeah. Like, right? And like, I mean, I know you were an agent at some point, like before you Still were even. licensed, but yeah. Yes, but you were like an agent. <laughs> yeah. I bet you got those calls, right? Yeah. And probably when you heard that call, you're like, okay, cool, bro. Like whoever the hell you are on the phone, right? right. Um, and so what I've started doing to really make myself different is what I'll do is like, so let's say I'm calling you. It's like, it's like, usually I, I start with texting outreach. So generally you've already decided that you're down to talk to me for a couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. And so a conversation would go something like this. I'll be like, Hey Steve, this is Jonah. Um, 
uh, thank you so much for taking my call. I know you're super busy. You're a realtor in Northern California, right? And then you would say, yes, hopefully. Mm. I like asking that question because sometimes they're a realtor in Arizona or they're just not a realtor at all, right? And you don't want to waste time. Um, usually they say yes. I always teach my people, just assume you're talking to the right person until that question because there's no point in being like, how much, like, you have a second or whatever, like they already told you they want to talk to you. Mm. Um, and then I really go into my favorite line ever, which is my tool in the tool belt line. It's like, amazing. Great to hear you're a realtor in Northern California. What I do better than anybody else is I solve sellers' problems. So if you ever hear of one where there are tax liens, there's, it's in pre-foreclosure, there's no equity, whatever it might be, my goal is to be the tool in your tool belt that you use to solve that problem and get you your commission. Um, and then do you know of any like that right now, right? Um, I love that line because it does a few different things. One, it shows you have a competent business model that's a little bit different than just a flipper. Yeah. Two, you're showing your heart and you're like, oh, like, like an agent here's like, oh, like maybe he's like actually cares about sellers and cares about other human beings not just a money guy. Um, I would say those are like the main two things that it does that really separates you. And then you gotta ask like, do you know of anything right now, right? And then there could be like a myriad of response. Sometimes they'll have something, you collect the info. Sometimes they don't have anything. Sometimes they start going to like, okay, but like how much do you need off of the property? And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I don't think you just heard me. I can give you my technical criteria but what I'm really looking for are sellers with problems. That is my criteria, mm. right? Um, and there's just a bunch of different responses. But the last thing I like to end it with, and these are, these are the four steps to an intro call we're starting to get into, is undying appreciation. So I think the thing that this world is missing most right now is the fact that nobody gets appreciated. Mm. So many people go throughout their lives and like, doing like if even like as a waiter, waitress, like they don't get appreciated for anything. They get a tip, but nobody's like, thank you so much. You did a great job, right? I think very few people get that. So when you start giving that to agents especially, but you really anybody, it creates a memory. It creates a connection. They're like, damn, I really like that guy. So I'd end it with something like, hey, thank you so much for taking the time. It means a lot. I cannot wait to get a deal with you, Steve. Let's get it, right? Yeah. Something like that. So four steps, introduce yourself, ask if they're a realtor, my tool in the tool belt line, you actually know of anything right now, and then undying appreciation. And I feel yeah. like that's my competitive advantage in the agent outreach space. Well, and, and for sure, the, the appreciation component, because that's a, the, the thing that we focus the most on sales training is the validation, mm -hmm. right? People want to be validated. That, what that looks like is appreciated, seen, heard, felt, right? felt like people understand them. Like there's all these elements. If we can convey all that, then they're more likely to want to work business with us. Right. But we're not conveying all these things. Now it's transactional. Yeah. And no one likes transactional. The other thing too, on the flip side of that, if you look at the reason why uh, most employees quit the organization they work at and why most spouses cheat is lack of appreciation. Yeah, I bet. That makes sense. Right. So if you're not appreciating, this is when their eyes start wandering. Yeah. So, you know, you're doing the opposite of that, which is, you're appreciating them, you're seeing them, you're, you're, you're treating them as, as humans that have their own needs that need to be met. 100%. And the other thing I liked about that you're talking about as far as 
so you can get your commission, right? It's like, realtor wants to get paid. Yeah, 100%. Right? So, hey, like, you know, you, you know, can you, who do you know that has this uh, situation? I'm, I'm a tool in the tool belt to solve the seller's problems so that you can get your commission, right? Yeah. It's not like, hey, like, we're here to solve seller's problems. Important. And also solve your problem. Yeah, exactly. We don't, we don't, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You're not hammering it, but you're not dismissing it. Exactly. Because, I mean, that's, that's what realtors want, right? Like, I'm, I'm here to solve everyone's problems. What I out loud say is seller's problems, because it would sound weird, weird to say realtor's problems. Mm -hmm. That would sound weird in the pitch. But, like, yeah, exactly. Like, you want to include that commission part because then they know, okay, great, I'm also going to get paid yeah. for helping him out. Yeah, I'm trying to think back, like, when I used to get a lot of calls. Um, not to say I don't get calls anymore. It's just everything goes to voice right now. Yeah. Uh, but when I used to take calls as a realtor. Yeah. And I have investors call. I remember, well, let's go back even further. When I first got into the business, man, it was so exciting. <laughs> Cash buyers want to work with me. This is incredible, right? When you're new, oh my God, this is awesome. Then you realize it doesn't mean anything. Right. 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 Then it gets to a point where like, hey, I want to do this. And I remember very, the very first time someone was like, ah, uh, you know, I don't like working with realtors because if it's a good deal, they won't sell it to me. Like, that doesn't make sense. Like we get paid commission. Yeah. Right. Now, He's absolutely right. If I have a good deal, why would I sell it to an investor? Why wouldn't I just do it myself, right? But this is kind of like the evolution. Of right, of course. Career. It depends on the person. Depends on, well, depends on where they are in their journey. Exactly. Right? I'm at a point in my journey now where it doesn't make sense for me to sell those deals for a commission. Right. Right. Uh, but the one thing you're talking about, like you're having this conversation, you're doing text outreach. Um, I can say, and you probably experienced realtors like myself. I'd be nice. I'd be cordial. Oh, nice. I was cordial. And professional, but if you weren't willing to come to my office and have a consultation, you weren't getting my deals. So here's Did how I get with, a, okay. Here's how I get around that is, and it depends on the person, right? Because the every person is different. But what I've noticed is, so like, let's say if you had said, "Hey, you have to come to my office," usually what I would say to that is like, "Hey, I'm going to be super honest with you. I live in Colorado. I don't live in Phoenix, but I do do deals here. Just so you know." But um, like, and this was at the beginning, I stopped doing this. I actually haven't gotten this objection in a while. But like, what I would usually do is like, it's like, hey, like we can do a Zoom though or anything like that. But honestly, what I've started noticing for most realtors is they'll say that and then I'll be like, yeah, like I can check my calendar later, whatever. And then what I do is I just keep following up over and over and over and over and over and over again. I like, I have realtors who have had been texted by my CRM number every two weeks for the past three years. No lie, right? We might've not done any business, but like I'm definitely in their mind, right? Um, and so if they ever do get a deal, I've just learned that like the person who gets the deal isn't necessarily the person who has the relationship. It's the person who's top of mind. Absolutely. That's really who it is. So like even realtors are like, I've been in the business 30 years. I have, re I have investor relationships out the wazoo. I'm just the guy who texts them right when they get the listing agreement. They're going to be like, okay, send yeah, it. It's easy. Right. And then they get a check immediately within two weeks. They had to do nothing, like literally no work. They had to write up an offer maybe, or they let my TC write it up. Um, so usually that's what would end up happening with a realtor like that who's like, I need you to come to the office. I never went to anybody's office, but I've done deals with people like that because in the end it's like, well, it's texting me right now. I guess mm. this is perfect. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, 
you ask the question, do you, do you know anybody that's going through this? What's your success rate with that? Do you know anybody who's going through? Who oh, has oh, oh, oh. problems? Um, it just depends. I mean, it really depends if they actually know of anything at mm -hmm. that moment. Um, I'll be honest. I don't have like in my head an immediate K. Oh. I, well, actually, I do have a KPI in a way because it's about it's about my act managers have about thirty conversations a day, follow ups and intro calls, right? And they generate about six to eight leads from that, from those. So I guess that that would be the conversion rate. Yeah. So I would just, I'm curious, because do you know, it's, it's a yes, no question. Yeah. Shot down. Versus like, hey, who do you know that might, or who comes to mind, right? That might, Interesting. Uh, that might have these challenges, right? Because it's like, as a realtor, I would say, hey, Jonah, do you know anyone that's looking to buy or sell? Like, oh, I can't think of anybody. I was like, Hey, Jonah, who do you know that's uh, recently had a baby, got married, or the kids got off to college? Hmm. Now, the scribe person has got these problems, and you can, it's more easy, it's more, it's easier to visualize, think of a person who's gone through these things. It's like, do you know anyone's looking to buy or sell? Because, like, no one says, hey, I want to buy or sell. Do you know anyone? That's not a normal conversation. I'll try that out. I, it's like, it's a, do you know, the question is, do you know of anybody who has that problem? So usually I've found the realtors pause and think about it for a second, but I'll try it out. I'll try it out. It's like, who do you know who has these types of problems? Because right, it's an open-ended question. Yeah. And now they got to really stop. think about it. I'll try it out. Yeah. Just curious. Yeah. So, all right. So we go through, that's 2021. All right. So 2021, make half a mil. Mm -hmm. Only expenses, the guru stuff. Yeah, basically more or less. Right. And like whatever I can technically yeah. write off, you know. So then... 2022 was also a really, really interesting year. So how did your so business... So 2022 was interesting. So 2022, I would count as like the year of like learning how to scale, right? 2021 was like, it's just me, one VA. Let's just go as hard as we possibly can, right? And then 2022 is like, okay, let's actually try to make a business out of this. Let's like start hiring people, see what happens. We hired, I have a whole team, like four or five VAs. I had like two or three act managers and a dispo manager and a TC, right? I had like an actual team in place. Um, the issue is, is I didn't know how to run a team at all. Zero experience, zero knowledge. I've done salesy stuff throughout my entire life. Mm -hmm. So it's one thing when it's just you in the business. Yeah. I had experience with sales and how to close people and all of that. And I have the personality for it. I'd never had any experience ever managing people or hiring, or how to choose the right people, or what to pay them, or anything like that, right? Like, I had no idea. I didn't know what I was doing, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'd ask Pace and Jamil and other mentors that I had, but there's only so much you can learn from them. You just sometimes have to make some of the mistakes yourself. So that year, it actually ended up being only a little bit more revenue. It was like $525,000, but, and then the profit was less because it was, because I had to pay people this time around, right? I actually had mm -hmm. employees and stuff. So the profit was probably like 150 to 200, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So that year was just learning like, okay, how did we make a business? What the hell is an SOP? What like, where do you even put your SOPs? How do you do this? Where do you find people, right? Um, and 2022 was just like the struggle of that. I got a business coach. There were just a lot more expenses of, okay, let's try to make this big. Because you can like make... 350k in this business a year easily to you just you grinding it out mm -hmm. right if like 
like a possible retirement plan could have just been, I do that for 10 years. I have, you know, like two, three million in the bank, maybe buy some real estate or maybe put it in like, or maybe even lend it out, mm -hmm. live off that for the rest of my life. Right. Yeah. But I didn't really want to do that. Right. I want to like, I want to become really freaking rich because I want to be able to impact more people's lives. Right. Mm. Um, so you got to like just learn all that extra stuff. So 2022 was really good. Um, bought another rental, did just a lot more wholesaling again. Um, that was like most of 2022 was just learning that journey. So 2022 is a year scale mm -hmm. and you're learning how to hire people and manage them. Yeah. What were the biggest mistakes you made? This is my opinion on this. And it's really interesting because when we were, when you were on my podcast, you actually said, no, this is like not necessarily true. You can um, hire people whose maybe their personalities don't necessarily fit the role. So my biggest lesson that I feel like I learned was what I was doing a lot of times was I'd hire somebody I like, but didn't have the experience for the role or the personality for the role. So for instance, now when I hire salespeople, I want them to have sales experience. And mm -hmm. I want, I want to almost be being sold during the interview. They should be confident. They should be like able to express themselves and talk well in an interview if they're a salesperson and vice versa. I'd sometimes hire people who were incredible in interviews, great talkers for an admin role. <laughs> You know what I mean? And it's just like, oh, you're disorganized just like me. This is a freaking issue, right? Mm -hmm. um, that was like probably the greatest mistake in my opinion is you got to even more important than the experience is matching the personality to the job role. I feel like was the greatest mistake that I made as, a, um, as someone who was running a business. And then also you have to have your systems really well dialed in if you're going to have a team, right? Things can kind of, if you have an okay system as a solopreneur, it works because you know you're doing everything anyways, mm -hmm. right? But if you, if you actually have employees, they need to understand what's going on with the system or where you need to go with the system, right? Um, so those were easily the two, I feel like those were the two biggest lessons. There were a lot of lessons on like, how to, um, you know, like how to be, how to be a really good boss who's gracious, even if you feel incredibly frustrated with whatever the employee's doing, mm -hmm. right? Um, but yeah, I'd say those two were like the biggest lessons. Um, talk more about that. So being gracious, even though you're on the inside, not <laughs> feeling so positive. So like, you know, I mean, there might be a thing where it's like, bro, you're like the act manager. Why didn't you bring in any deals this this month, right? Like what's what the hell is going on, right? Um, and learning how to be, like even if you're frustrated and the person isn't doing the job, learning how to be gracious in realizing, I read the book called, um, it's by Jocko Willink. What's it called? Um, it's Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. Um, this book, it's all about how he's like a Navy SEALs uh, commander. And what made him really unique or a really good leader is in the end, everything is his fault. Right. Right. And that's something I didn't understand about leadership is like, no, no, no. If the act manager isn't getting deals, it's your fault, mm -hmm. not their fault. Everything in the organization starts with you as the leader. And you have to internalize that, that it's not that they're not doing their job. It's that you're not doing your job mm -hmm. to give them the success that they need. 
right? right? And even if they aren't able to do the job, then it's still your fault that you didn't fire them, Mm -hmm. right? Everything in the end is your fault, is your fault as the CEO, as the leader of the organization, whatever it is. And so once I started changing that view of how it works, it helped me get less frustrated too because I realized if I truly internalize that, then I am the one responsible. How can I be frustrated them? I have to be frustrated on myself if if I'm anybody. So then learning just how to be gracious with them and how it just doesn't help at all to get frustrated. Getting frustrated doesn't help at all. It doesn't solve anything. The problem is still there. So you got to solve the problem. That's the purpose. You getting frustrated doesn't help with that. What needs to happen is, okay, what's the issue? Why aren't we getting anything? And then, and then I, back then it would be like, well, and I, this helped a lot with a business coach who helped me realize this. It's like, well, Jonah, what are their numbers? I'm like, what do you mean? What are their numbers? They're calling people all the time. I'm like, like, no, no, no. You have to like track what the hell they're doing. Or all the metrics. Or like, where are the metrics? And I'm like, I knew about KPIs, but when you're a solopreneur and you're just like doing it, like in my head, it's just like, what do you mean? I just make calls and eventually deals happen. Yeah. But then I eventually learned that the reason why you want KPIs is to, especially with employees, you can see what they're doing. You can then identify the problem. So like if you see the intro calls are fine and the, and the, like if you see that the calls are fine, like they're making enough calls, but the leads are low, then it's like, okay, there's something wrong with like the conversion part mm-hmm. of like, what are you actually saying on the phone? And then we review the calls. It's like, oh, you're not asking them if they have anything right now right? Mm-hmm. That's the issue, right? We actually are able to identify the problem. Right. Um, and so that was like, a, the, uh, that was another huge lesson was like learning like how KPIs work, why you use them. And then also it creates predictability. And that's really important for Northern, for California in general, because how California works generally is it'll be like, especially if this was how it was when I was a solopreneur, it would be like 10K month, 30K month, 150k month because it'd be like one whale deal mm-hmm. right because you're dealing with these million dollar houses and then it would be like 10k month 30k month zero month 150k month, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it would just be like it just be like these whale deals so like learning how to do the kpi so i have that predictability where i'm like no no, no. 30 conversations equals about six to eight leads equals about one deal a week and my company has consistently been doing that because we've been sticking to our KPIs. Yeah. Uh, one thing, just going back a little bit, you were talking about scaling, right? So, like, you don't need great communication when it's just you. Yeah. You really don't need excellent communication when it's you and one other person is in the same room. Yep. Once you get past that room, yeah. then things get super exciting. Yep. Uh, so, 2022 is a year of scale. What's 2023? 2023... So the first half of, it was really interesting year. The, the year of 2023 really was, I'm wondering what like the best word for it. For me, it was learning how to um, bring in partners. I know we, we've had this conversation actually where like, I know your, your whole situation with your partnership, mm-hmm. right? But like I had, I, had the, my, I had a very fixed mindset of like, I must own 100% of my company. Like, why would I get, ever give 50% away? That doesn't ever make sense in any circumstance. But I started realizing that my business was getting to the point where I was the integrator stuff, the things like the creating the CRMs and all of that, 
that was exhausting me. It was exhausting my energy every single day. And my gut was telling me I had to solve this problem somehow. There are really only two ways to do it. One is hire a COO or one is uh, partner up with an integrator. And there was this guy, his name's Tyler Wanaka, who's now my business partner. But I had to, I, I don't know how to explain it, but like people who are religious would say it was God. I'm not particularly religious. I think it's just like gut instinct and the universe and all that. But I remember I was at Jamil's mastermind and we were doing a prayer and I, it, I came, it basically came to me as a vision of like, for me to get everything I want or all my goals, I need to partner up with Tyler. I could tell he was the right guy. We had already partnered up on a agent outreach CRM at the end of 2022 called SimpleSend, where it's our CRM. It's based off completely off my method. My business uses it. Um, and we partnered up, created that, and it was just going, and it just went incredibly smoothly. Everybody did their roles. I worked with them super well. We were able to get so much done so much quicker. And I'm like, wow, what if my entire business was like this, where somebody was dealing with the integrator stuff, right? So the first half of 2023 was like pretty mediocre, to be honest. I think it was like probably average like 30 or 40K a month, which was even lower than what was in 2022. Mm-hmm. And then we partnered up in about the end of May, beginning of June. And then so far since then, we've been skyrocketing. Like right, like the third quarter we did, I think like 300, 320K, something like that. This quarter, probably with everything we're going to do like 400 to 500k so then mix that in with other deals that i have coming in and other other projects i've been doing that aren't part of just the wholesaling it'll probably end up being like a million dollar year so it'll be double anything i've ever done i had to give up half the company so probably to me it might still be about the same but i see the trajectory where next year we'll be able to even maybe double that right so you said you knew tyler was Mm-hmm. How did you know Tyler was the intuition? I don't really know how to say it other than that. It was so he had been selling my deals mm-hmm. for all of 2020. The end of he got into the business about mid 2021, um, and he was also part of Astro. And he uh, around the end of 2021, he started selling a lot of my deals a lot quicker than I can because I think disposition wholesaling, which is basically where you focus on buyer outreach and focusing on buyers and getting people like me, acquisition wholesalers, mm-hmm. buyers, um, that's really good for integrators. That's really good for people who are insanely good with systems and computers and CRMs and all that stuff. Because for me to get out a deal, because, you know, the system's wonky, like I might send out an email blast and then accidentally send uh, the text to the, all the realtors or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, ah, we got to figure this out. But he would get a deal sold within like a day or two, even quicker than I could sometimes get it out. I'm mm-hmm. like, probably sold 20 of my deals before we started partnering up, because I was like, okay, you are better than me at this. Like, you're really, really good at this. So I knew partially because of that, and I knew also because all those deals, me and him, work together really smoothly. We have similar personalities, similar similar ethics, and opposite um, skill sets, yeah. which is exactly, if you are going to partner up, what you want to do, right? Because the worst thing to do is to partner up with someone who's exactly like me. Mm-hmm. Right, that's the worst thing that could possibly ever happen. It's the mistake that everybody makes. They just partner with their friend. Um, I love Tyler, and now he's my friend. But we probably—I don't know if we would have naturally been friends if we weren't in real estate together. But because 
we're such good partners. We've become friends. And then um, we've been able to create this cool business. Gotcha. So, um, and we talk about micro flipping. Mm -hmm. So expand on how you're running a business. So micro flipping, micro flipping basically is where you take an acquisition wholesaler, you get, so an acquisition wholesaler gets a deal. You sign a non-exclusive option with them, which gives you um, equitable interest is what it's called, where basically it allows you to market the contract technically, but market the deal without having a license, right? Um, so you sign a contract there, and then if you don't have any buyers, you then use a disposition wholesaler to sell the deal, right? Then you're just like the middle of the middlemen, and you just deal with the relationships in that deal. You'd be like the middle of the three assignment fees that end up on the settlement statement. Right. Um, that's technically what microflipping is. When I told you about microflipping, what I what we do is we do some traditional microflips, which is that. Um, but probably the vast majority of what we do is agent outreach. So those are most of our direct deals, and then disposition wholesaling because now we have a uh, we have a cash buyers list a real cash buyers list of probably about like 2,000 to 3,000 in the Northern California area. Yeah. Um, and then we have like another 500 dispo wholesalers who we use to sell our deals if we're having trouble there. Um, and so because we have such a large cash buyers list, usually it's our direct cash buyers, but there are a few wholesalers who actually sometimes still get us deals. Yeah. So um, another way to say it would be like the JV model, mm -hmm. like where like we have a JV business where People come to me from my social media, from my influence in these communities, and they know me as like Northern California and now Colorado, and they know they can send me deals and I'm gonna get them sold, right? Right. Because um, they've seen my track record. So another way to say it would be like the JV model, but that's kind of like more or less how I'm making that business. Yeah, it's a fascinating model, right? Like, you look at the evolution, and I've, I've said this to Jamil, like it's, it's, it's funny what you created, right? Because like, on the, the original situation, was if you're a flipper, you gotta go direct to seller. Mm -hmm. You gotta find the homeowner and market to them, reach out to them, connect with them, buy their house and list it. Right. And then eventually it was like, well, we can do wholesaling and flipping. Right. So as a wholesaler, you reach out to the homeowner, sell it to the flipper. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's just one assignment fee. And then co wholesaling comes along. Yep. All right. So you got one person who's <laughs> talking to the homeowner. Yep. One person that's talking to the buyers. Right. And so the acquisition wholesaler was held to the disposition wholesaler. Yep. And now we're saying we're creating one more segment <laughs> between one. So between the acquisition wholesaler and the disposition wholesaler is a micro flipper. You would be shocked. I've done one where there were seven wholesalers oh, yeah. on I've, a deal. I've been before. part of those too. It's so funny. It's like, wow, it took that long to find the guy who was supposed to buy this deal. Mm -hmm. But in the end, who cares if everyone's getting paid and the buyer's happy? Like that's all that really matters in the end. And the title company cares. Well, the title company sometimes cares. If you if you have a bad title company, they cares. I mean, my title company in in California would always do whatever I say at this point. Since we oh, do they'll so do what business. they have to do. Yeah, but the the stress. <laughs> look at the settlement statement, right? Because if you look at the 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 transaction, right? You have a buyer and seller. Okay, there's two parties. Yeah. Right. So a, a traditional deal, right? You got buyer seller, listing agent, buyer's agent, loan officer, right? Like that's like the dynamic. Yeah. When we get to wholesaling. It's funny, right? You got uh, uh, A to B, mm -hmm. and B to C, and C to D, right? And then we got to keep every communication separate. Yeah. And then the hard money lender. Yeah. Right? And then, like, what can you disclose 
up the chain, down the chain. Yeah, I could imagine that. That like honestly, that seven person one, it was like I didn't know everybody on that transaction, but we kind of just were like, this is ridiculous. We're just gonna. You guys, we have all our assignments, so we know we're going to get paid. We're just going to put the ACK and Dispo and make this a little bit simpler and have them deal with most of it. Right. Um, I was like number four on that yeah. one. I was either number four or number five. But yeah, I mean, it is kind of crazy how it's changed. Or like, I mean, I wasn't in the game before when it was just flippers trying to get deals. But it is, it is crazy how that can be a business model. Mm-hmm. But... You are adding value to the marketplace in the sense that you're you're helping find the person who's actually going to close and bring. I don't think money. we need to justify it. It's just for me, it's just an amusing Hilarious. interaction, right? <laughs> right, because like we have, what, what do we have in our market? Right, we got in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Okay? So we got Jamil Keegley. Yeah. Got Chris Iman. Yeah. Right, and we got uh, we got Spencer Caldwell. Like, there's like multiple dispo houses. Yeah. Right, and then you got you know, all these realtors, and then you got the again the the, the micro flipping, right? Like, mm-hmm. I got a deal. Hey, someone sends me deals. Like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't want it, but. You want, I can make a couple of calls. And then it's just a couple of calls, right? Matthew Potter, who our host for PTD, right? Part of the disruption is like, hey, well, you're fun by this. Like, that's my first call. We were fun by this. Hmm. That's always my first call. Interesting. Right? So, yeah, this it's an interesting model. I, 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 there's no judgment on my end. I just find I love it, it fascinating. I love it. I think it's such a, I think wholesaling in general is just the best business model ever. And there's just yeah. so many good ways of making money, especially when you don't have money. And that's also a great way if you don't have any money too. Yeah. Um. It that one wasn't for me. I liked agent outreach more. But once I partnered with Tyler, we really ramped that up. And also, it made sense with my social media too to Absolutely. be like to be like, okay, let's actually use this to generate some leads. So let's talk about that, right? Because I met you at Pace's Mastermind. Mm-hmm. I remember that. And what was the, what what did we talk about at that event? You you guys talked all about social media and the importance of it. So before that event, I my mindset about social media was I don't want to be vain. I don't want to be bragging about all this money that I'm making. What are people going to think of me? How is it going to like affect how like everything in my life works? I mean, I it works for these guys. They're they're doing great and all of that, but like they really want to, you know, like I'm gonna be honest, and I ho- I don't know if Pace will ever see this, but I was like, ah, it's probably because of like like a little part of me was saying this, like ah, probably he wants to boost his own ego. That's probably why he's doing it. But then I went to that event. There's an element where it feels pretentious. Exactly. That's what I how I used to think. Yeah. Right. I didn't understand quite a few different things. One was, um, it boosts everything in your business. Mm-hmm. Literally everything becomes easier. It's easier to find deals. It's easier if you want to hire people. It's easier to raise private money. It's literally easier to do everything in this business if you have a social media presence. And then something also that I think Pace said at that mastermind that really hit me was he, I think he literally said this directly to me, was like, Jonah, do you feel like you could teach someone to make $50,000 a month? I'm like, yeah, probably. That's kind of what I do. And he's like, how dare you keep that to yourself? when you could be teaching the world and helping others achieve that, how dare you keep that and be selfish and have mindset issues that prevent you from helping others achieve their dreams. And then once he said that, again, it's just a whole mindset shift mm-hmm. of like, oh, God damn it. This has nothing to, <laughs> it has nothing to do with me. Right. It has nothing to do with the vanity. It has nothing to do with the, um, with like pretentiousness. Who cares what other people think? The whole point of it 
in the end is to be able to help others learn how to make millions upon millions of dollars, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it made so much sense when, especially when it was like, who helped me, like, especially at the very, very beginning, learn how to make millions and millions of dollars. It was you, right? Mm -hmm. From the Real Estate Disruptors podcast, listening to all those podcasts and all these people doing more than me was inspiring. It gave me ideas of like what I should be buying, what I should be doing, right? And so once I did that, it was super important. And then also at that event, we it was it was that, and then it was also talking a lot about podcasts, right? And obviously, you're there. You're most known for Real Estate Disruptors. Um, Pace basically challenged all of us to start a podcast, and I ended up doing starting a podcast. I'm wearing my hoodie from it. It's called Scorch the Fears. It's on my YouTube channel, mm -hmm. right? You were a guest on it. Pace, Jamil, all of them have been guests on it. Um, and it is easily one of the best things I've done just because, like, I don't think it's personally helped me, like, like um, it hasn't helped grow my social media. It has, but not an insane amount yet. What it has done, though, is it's helped me connect with people who are way ahead of me, like you, Pace. I've, I've now had Kent Clothier on there, Austin Zayback. I've had... Um, uh, who else have I had on that was really cool? Just all sorts of cool people. Vina Jetty, like all sorts of really cool people who are definitely above me. Mm -hmm. And now I have all of their phone numbers. Right. Or at least they'll respond to most of my DMs, right? Um, and now it creates opportunities where I can come on to their podcast, right? Mm -hmm. That's why like, I think one of the main reasons why I was able to get on this podcast is obviously like the minimum requirements, but also part of it was that met you at that mastermind, you were on my podcast, and so there's actually like a connection made there. Right. Gives an excuse to meet people who are way more successful than you. Yeah, and like. that's definitely been my experience as well. Yeah. Right? We were talking before the podcast, like you're asking about how long I've done it, it's like it was back, back in 2018, it was the best thing I've ever done for my business. Yeah. Right, so for those of you guys watching, like this was, when did you start this? I, 2020. 2020. Oh no, wait, the, sorry, the podcast? Yeah, The when was the mastermind that I, I was the at? The, that was the end of 2021. End of 2021, right? Yeah. So not even two years. Yeah. Right. So for everyone watching, right, it's not too late to start. Like yeah. it always feels it's too late. Like when I started mine, I was like, oh, you got Joe McCall out there, you got Sean Terry, you got uh this uh Terrio guy, Matt Terrio, like uh you got bigger pockets. Like there's yeah. no like why would anyone listen to this? Yeah. Right? Like that's that's the story I was telling myself. Yeah. Right. And I talked to Joe McCall. He was like, Yeah, when I started my podcast, there's Sean Terry out there, why would anyone listen to me? So you start yours. 2021 yeah has already done all this for you so for everyone yeah. watching i've been saying this for a long time do it yeah put yourself out there and i remember that mastermind specifically the things that stuck out was you ingrid right uh and then there was a guy that was a church guy i don't know if he ever started his podcast but I he was a uh, church guy it uh, was it was it was someone that he was super uh super religious and he was talking to they were talking about how he wanted to uh add I can't remember exactly what it was. I just remember uh, he was the person that went to church a lot, and he thought there was a lot of value in talking about religion, real estate, and this and that. So Don't obviously know. that part was not as memorable for you. Okay, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> right, but those those are the three I remember though, right? Because yeah. he challenged the entire room. Right, challenged the entire room. Yep. He made you guys uh, come up with podcast idea, come up with titles. Yep. Right, and a commitment, and when you'll start this by. I guess yep. that's what I remember. Yep. Um, and I remember. Uh, uh, you and Ingrid specifically, and then this other guy, I can't remember his name. Um, but it's awesome to see this, that you did it, and then the consequence, the results of actually 
taking that action. It's pretty cool. I mean, I'm we're on episode this week will be episode 99. Next week, Thanksgiving week will be episode 100. I've missed one week I think I missed one Christmas cuz it was just getting way too crazy with the holidays, but I that was the only week I've missed since that podcast yeah. of Scorch the Fears, right? Because I knew I was like I can beat everyone by just being consistent. Like literally doing this every week. I'm going to beat 99% of the room. I'm going to beat almost everybody in that room. The only other person in who was in that room who started a podcast I, that is still going on was Ingrid, I mm-hmm. think. That's why you remember her. And she also works in the office. But like, um, Ingrid and I go back, so. Yeah, that too, probably. But, um, but yeah, like it was, because what really hit me was when Pace said that about like, you are hurting other people by not doing it. That was like, okay, now I have to do it, right? Right. Back then, I didn't really understand, like, I did understand the benefits. Like, you guys had said that you'll get more private money, more deals, all of that good stuff. But I still didn't know how to utilize that into a podcast format. Like, I was just kind of doing the podcast at the beginning because I'm just like, let's just do something and see what the hell happens. Um, If you're going to ask me what 2024, like, my vision for what the year of 2024 is going to be, it's going to be the year that I become famous is like my goal. Like that's the year where now I'm starting to understand, okay, we should pay a social media manager. We should actually make this professional. We should have an idea of, okay, when I do this reel, how is this going to feed back into the entire ecosystem of my businesses so that it helps my businesses intentionally, right? Um, Still always give everything out for free, but then also give it out for free and make a method where it can come back to me mm-hmm. at the same time. Because what I was doing was just putting out content. I had no strategy behind how to make it where like some, like people could obviously send me deals, but there wasn't like a specific platform of like, here's how you should get deals from me. Here's what I'm kind of looking for, what areas, and here's how you can send it to my team, mm-hmm. right? Um, and the same thing with private money and same thing with all the other things that I wanted. I just was kind of like, I know I need to do this because Steve and Pace are doing it, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. Um, so now I've started to become way more strategic with it, releasing reels. I've just started creating my, more long-form YouTube videos. I'm still behind on that. It's most of my YouTube vid- like channel is my podcast, mm-hmm. but starting to create more of that as well. And I'm getting to that point where I can get freed up from my business so that I'm able to do that. So that's my prediction for 2024 is that's it's the cool. year that I've become famous. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so Scorch the Fears podcast. Mm-hmm. What's the podcast about? So the whole point of the podcast, it's basically, it's all about how do you overcome fears just in general, right? The idea is I'm going to go interview people who are insanely successful, way even better than me, um, and people who have overcame whatever fears they were initially dealing with in order to become successful and whatever fears they're dealing with now and how they go through those. That's the whole point of the podcast because- I just, I felt like that's constantly what screws everyone up. It's something that I think is talked about constantly. 80%, 80 to 90% of this business is just mindset. When people say that, people don't understand that it's like, I think what mostly holds people back are fears of something. Fears of being judged. That was the whole thing that was holding me back from making any social media. Or fears of having people envy me. Um, Fears of not being successful. That would be like a very common one at the beginning or fears of spending money. That really held me back. That's why in 2021, uh, it was just me and one VA because I was like, 
I'd always grown up with save for a rainy day, right? Then I realized it's like, okay, yes, it is scary spending more than like 10K a month, but how the hell am I going to get to $2 million in revenue unless I'm going to spend like 30 or 40 or 50K a month or something, right? Right. Um, so I just started realizing that like all these different fears were always, once I conquered the fear or realized why it was stupid, that's when I would break through whatever level of business I was in. So yeah. that's why I started that pod. This, this was the podcast that spoke to me the most was because like there are all these ones where people are interviewing each other, but on mine, and I still am interviewing people and I still get their story too, but I really want to like try to delve in as much as like, how do you overcome fears? How do you overcome mindset barriers in general? And what, what were the ones you were dealing with? And then also how did you specifically overcome them? Because I've gotten all sorts of cool ideas for myself as well. Um, I want my. I had a podcast maybe a month ago with a guy named Tyler DeVraw, I think is how you say his last name, big multifamily guy in Hawaii. Um, and he gave me like a really good idea of like how he did it, which was he literally wrote out his entire story, right? And I've just started doing that, but I really feel like that one specifically is gonna help a lot being like, okay, let's actually write it out. Because when you write something out, it's, it's very similar to envisioning, but it's also kind of mixed with planning. But I just get insanely good ideas like that for helping myself on how to overcome my fears too. You're talking about writing out your story, you're talking about in the past and the future? Mm -hmm, both. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Because I've seen like, you know, a letter to myself, right? Like that yeah. kind of stuff in the future. I think that, that is extremely powerful because we're, we're cementing our reality. Yeah. Our future reality today. Yeah. Right? If we can't articulate it, how could we possibly achieve it? Yeah. So I'll ask you the same question people ask me. Um, your podcast, what were the three biggest things you've taken away from your guests in running the podcast? Ooh, that's a really good one. Um, I would say, it's gonna be interesting to think of three off the top of my head. I would say probably some of the, one of the biggest things, this is just a human one, is it is insane how everyone is dealing with the exact same <laughs> I was just like, I was like, wow, it seems like I've had 15 guests who really had a fear of not being successful. Interesting, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so I that's one in just that's really boosted my confidence. I, this is something I talk with people a lot about where does confidence come from? At least personally for me, my confidence has come from realizing that everyone's insecure. Mm -hmm. Once I realized that, then I'm like, oh, wait a minute, I'm not the only a-hole in here who's insecure, right? Everyone around me is insecure. It doesn't matter who you are. I don't mm -hmm. care how famous you are. You have the same insecurities. It mm -hmm. just doesn't show as much. But that's the only difference between a confident person and a really not confident person is someone is constantly showing their insecurities or constantly thinking about them. The other one knows that everyone's insecure, so we might as well just get stuff done, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think that was like a lesson I learned from my podcast just because I was like, it was so funny how like the same ones kept popping up over and over and over and over mm -hmm. again. Um, another one, they're just like, the another one when I think of is just like the different techniques people used are really cool. Like one example being like writing the story. Um, I'm trying to think of like other ones. I think like other ones that would happen were like one just like, Hey said that to me about the social media thing, and mm -hmm. it was because someone else said it to him, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I remember talking to him about that on the podcast, which it was 
that was like a really interesting story to hear. So if you ever if you go into my pot onto my YouTube channel and see the one I did with Pace, it's really interesting hearing that story. Um, I'm trying to think of like a really good third one. I think the first one was like the thing that I've learned the most from. I'd say here's the third one, right? And this this is not exactly from my guests. It's from just the podcast in general. So yeah. I hope you'll count this into this because <laughs> it's um it's that it is, and this might connect to the first one, so I might give you a fourth one if you want it, but I think it's fascinating because I had such, like, when I started that podcast, I had such, like, a oh, why would Steve Trang ever come on to my podcast? Yeah. Who the hell am I, right? I just started this podcast. I've been in it five episodes, right? Like, I could get Jamil and Pace because they love me because I'm their mentees, right? But then... I had like a mindset shift talking to a, a really good friend of mine named Sam Singh. I don't know if you know him. Mm-hmm. I know him. I was on his show too. Oh, nice. Cool. Um, and he just told me, he's like, no, dude, just ask him. I'm like, what do you mean? Just ask him. You can just ask them. You can just ask them to come on the podcast. And it's like, yeah, yeah, they'll come on. It's like, what do you mean they'll just come on? It's like, dude, just ask them. Like, watch what happens. And the first person I asked is Brent Daniels. And Brent Daniels is like, yeah, come on the podcast. I'm right. like, what? You don't even know me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, just some random wholesaler. But then they're like really cool dudes. Um, and that kind of ties into the first one where it goes back to like, really, none of us are all that different. Mm-hmm. Some people, obviously, I'd probably say 20%, probably that when I ask more famous people than me to come onto my podcast, probably like 20 to 30% say yes and 70% ignore me. But I realized really all you need is that 20 to 30% to have like a really interesting podcast. Um, and so... I feel like those are the three most. Well, if I recall correctly things. as well, you asked me at Pace's event. I asked you. I asked you at Jamil's event later. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I asked you later, and you said sure in person. Then you ignored me for a while, and then I'm right. like, all right, I've got it. No, he said yes. I'm gonna keep yeah. freaking texting him until he responds. Well, that's what it takes. Yeah. That's what it takes, right? Because if I say yes, I'll do it. Yeah. The the biggest thing is the uh, having my team reply back in the DMs. Yeah. Right. So that's the greatest challenge. So I'll be totally honest. Like the uh the replying back to DMs has been an inconsistent <laughs> process within my organization. <laughs> right. Because it's not me. Right. Yeah, like yeah. it's it's just not. Like yeah. the, if I'm, if if you get a reply on a weekend, it's me. Right. Right. But the other five days, it's the team. Gotcha. And so I'll own it, right? It's just we have been completely inconsistent. No, it's okay. I honestly, I like. I'll say this for everyone else. It feels like I'm ignoring (laughs) you. It's just we're inconsistent. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. But no, I mean, like, yeah, and learning that, like, I, I've just also learned, like, um, yeah, like if somebody says yes, like, like I, I probably in the past would have been gun shy. I'm like, oh, maybe he changed his mind. Maybe he was just being polite in the moment. Mm. But I've learned just like, no, just keep asking. Like, just. Just see what happens. Because like yeah. nine times out of 10, if they say they do it, they probably will do it. Probably just busy at that moment. And that was what it was. And then you eventually came on. And the reality is that number three thing that you figured out, um, it's been around for a long time, right? Yeah. Like that's uh, that's how Napoleon Hill wrote yeah. Thinking Grow Rich. Yeah. Uh, this is how um, like back in the day when I was doing my own SEO, mm-hmm. this is the way I would do it. It's just I would just interview other top bloggers and just put it nice. as a link. And they all say yes, as long as you'll link back to that page. Nice. Right? So when I started this podcast, I had every expectation that everyone would say yes. Because in my experience, who doesn't want to have their ego stroked? Yep. Right? Everyone wants their ego stroked, whether they admit it or not. Yep. 
they want that. So, yep. uh, so, and then again, for everyone else, right? Like reach out to Jonah, reach out to me. Yeah. yeah. The answer is yes. We'll do it. I will literally go on any podcast. If you're watching <laughs> this and you are, and you have a podcast. I will go on it because like I said, my year 2024 is I'm going, I is the year where I become famous and to become famous, you got to get your face out there as much yeah. as possible. Right. So, so one of the things you're talking about is a lot of people face insecurity, mm -hmm. right? Um, so then I think that the flip side of insecurity then is the imposter syndrome. Yep. So are you finding that a lot of people mentioning that they struggle with imposter syndrome? 100%. Yeah. No, I mean, this is, I won't name names because I feel bad, like even though they talk about it. You have to listen to all it. 300 episodes. <laughs> yeah. You have to listen to all 99 <laughs> episodes. Um, there were definitely like people, it's insane. There was like, there was like one person who's like almost done a billion dollars in multifamily deals. And they were telling me, they like, it's like, like, and like, I've become really good friends with them now. And they were telling me like, yeah, like, I just don't like, like, what if I teach somebody something and then they like lose money? And I'm like, I'm not gonna say their name. I'll be like, blank. It's real estate investing. <laughs> They're gonna lose money at some yeah. point. That's yeah. actually like a requirement is for them to at some point lose some freaking money. Yeah. <laughs> like, like there's no way to do business without losing money, right? right? It's called and, an investment. Yeah, it's called an investment. <laughs> like sometimes it goes so, but it goes poorly, right? Yeah. Um, so it was just really interesting, and like that person was dealing with it like now at like their level at this moment, um, and. It was just that, like, that really, that was fascinating to me in the sense of, like, man, like, it just kept reinforcing that, like, we really all do deal with the same things. Well, some of the most successful people I know struggle with imposter syndrome, which mm -hmm. makes no sense to me. Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, because, like, you've done it. Yeah, you, you. it's not like you didn't do it, right? <laughs> it's not like I don't deserve it. It's like, you've done it. Yeah. Right? Uh, so another thing, you mentioned confidence. Um, so I got a chance to listen to, uh, it was Tom Bilyeu, uh, it's... Um, Impact Theory, mm -hmm. where he interviews, I think it's uh, uh, Andrew Bustamante, I believe is the guy's name, CIA agent. And he makes a statement I've never heard anyone else say before, hmm. is that confidence is not a real thing. Okay. Confidence doesn't exist. Right? That's, like, that's an interesting concept. So given that you've talked to all these people, what are your thoughts on that? Does confidence exist? It, do you, did he mean like it's not tangible, or did he mean it literally doesn't exist at all? Uh, it's impossible to quantify. Right, which I mean, I think we can agree on that. It's impossible yeah, to quantify. Yeah, yeah. But like, what does it even? Right, either they can do or they can't. That's real. That's the reality. Yeah, true. That's a very interesting idea. Is confidence just not even real? In my head, it's not tangible. So, like, when I say tangible versus real, it's like so. I would consider it one of those things where it is. Um, it's like real because its effects are real, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. is how I would think perception of it. Perception affects reality. Exactly. Perception is reality. Yeah. So you're right. Confidence, I would say, so here's where I agree-ish and disagree-ish. So I would agree in the sense that confidence itself by itself isn't real, but it becomes real because of the effects on your life. So mm -hmm. for example, right, I have seen people, and I've done it with myself, who literally can become more confident by saying like into a mirror i am confident i am strong like doing daily affirmations i've seen it happen where somebody actually gets a teensy bit more confident from that right that then creates an effect where maybe they close a deal that they wouldn't have closed mm -hmm. right that then compounds onto like wait that did actually create something right 
Um, and so, I, like physically, saying into a mirror, I'm confident, isn't really real, but because it creates an effect on reality by doing something that makes you more confident, that makes it real. I don't know yeah. if that makes sense. It makes exactly. sense. So here's, so when I got married, right, my best friend was my best man. Mm. And he said that my thing, there's one way he could describe me, confidence. Yeah. Right? And I said with you, right, I'm irrationally confident. And like, I remember we had a conversation like back in college, like if there's one thing I could pass on to my kids, it's confidence. Yeah. Because with confidence, everything else <laughs> yeah. works itself out. Everything figures itself out. Right. And so what is confidence? Confidence is the belief that I will figure it out. So then I wonder, is it because I have this belief that I'll figure it out that I'm willing to persist further until it's figured out? Right. Whereas if I don't have the confidence to figure it out, then I might not persist as long. Yep. Right? Because there are things I've done, like, is that a really good idea? Did, was I qualified to do that? Maybe not. But I did it. Yeah. Because I told myself or others that I was going to get it done. 100%. No, right. I 100% agree with that. Like, it's just just one of the thing, those things where, like, if you... Your your belief in your ability to do it makes it ten times more likely that you're able to do it, and right. that's the belief is the confidence, right? right? Um, there's sometimes unfounded confidence, and there's sometimes confidence where it's like, okay, I actually have some evidence behind mm -hmm. it. But having that belief, either way, mm -hmm. like without it, you have zero percent chance of right. success. Yeah. You have literally no chance of success because, like Michael Jordan, the Michael Jordan quote, like you, you what is it? Like you have to shoot at blanking right now you have to like every every shot i'm gonna blank on the quote more or less that it just has to be like if you believe in what you're doing then it actually becomes possible because you're actually going to try and so it's almost like the base rock for being able to be successful yeah definitely gotta get him on the show and talk to him about this yeah that would be cool <laughs> i do have a lot of unfounded confidence but it all works itself out right um so you're doing a challenge mm -hmm. next month i am so not next month, in two weeks. Okay. So I'm doing a challenge where- Which just in time when the show comes out. So when you Perfect. listen to the show, it's coming out now. It's probably coming out now. So it'll be the <laughs> week after Thanksgiving. Um, I'll be doing a challenge where uh, I will be going um, every single day as an acquisition manager mm. for, I'm going to become an acquisition manager in my company. Because a lot of people have been asking me things related to scaling um, like how, what is it, what does like an actual organization look like? Right. Mm -hmm. So, or, so I was thinking, okay, what's the, I'm not, that's the job I'm going to do as an acquisition manager. So I was thinking, let's go through it. Let's like, I'm going to be an acquisition manager. I'm going to have them. I'm just going to do a zoom where the people who sign up, they can come in. They are going to, I'm going to share my screen. They're going to hear everything that I'm doing constantly. They're able to watch. They're able to hear me close deals. They're able to hear, see how an organization is run. So that then they can like actually visualize it because mm -hmm. I think one of the hardest things that I had to deal with with creating an organization is like I didn't really ever get to see the insides of a working organization. Mm -hmm. I've never had a true corporate job ever. I've never I've had like the the W2s I've had I was like a server at a like at a restaurant or something like that. So the closest thing I'd ever gone to was like masterminds with like where Pace and Jamil would show their systems and stuff like that. I think it's super different if people can get to see like it being lived through, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, that's the challenge I'm doing. If you guys are interested, 
just go to the link in my bio um, on Instagram. My name's just Jonah Corchin. It's in the title of this podcast. You can find it there. You can link, click the link in the bio, and then you'll see like the agent. It's like the acquisition manager challenge or something like that. It's the first one. So gotcha. Yeah. So looking forward to that. Yeah, it'll be fun. I'm excited for that too. That's gonna be great. Uh, So what is what is your why? What drives you? So there, I have many different whys. Right, there are the typical whys that are the really uninteresting whys, in my opinion, like being able to pay for all of my family, being able to travel, yada, 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 all that stuff. The why that's really come into existence, though, as I've hung out with more people like you, like Brent Daniels, like Pace Morby, like Jamil, is impact. I'm starting to get addicted to the fact that people DM me and are like, mm-hmm. Jonah, I watched your reel, I watched your YouTube video, and I was able to get my first deal from it. Thank you so much. I just made $20,000, right? Um, things like that are starting to, it's just so fun. It's just so cool to see, right? Mm-hmm. Or they get their first deal through my company, right? And like we do a JV deal and then like that's their first $5,000 check because it's cool making money. I like making money, don't get me wrong, but it's not like I get that same spiritual feeling Mm -hmm. from a $10,000 wholesale deal like I did when I got my first deal. When I got my first deal, I literally had the check in front of me. I was like, I was like, I'm going to go to the office. I need to see this thing is real. I don't want to wire. I don't want to descend it to the wrong <laughs> bank account. I need this check in my hands. I remember getting the check and then sitting outside in my car and just being like, holy moly, this is real. This is real. It's like in my hand right now, $10,000. And being able to give that feeling to other people, I'm starting to get addicted to. And because of that, that's starting to become my true, true why is like, how many, how many people can I impact before I die? I'm 28. I've got a good 40 years in me. So how many, how many people can I help become millionaires? How many people can I help become billionaires? How many people can I help get their first deal? How many people can I make financially successful? And how many, or how many people can I help them deal with mindset issues? Right. And, um, because of that, that's starting to become my true why is like how, it's like that in the mix of like, how good of a person can I become? Can I be the um, the best son ever? Could I eventually be the best husband ever? Could I become the best man possibly, mm-hmm. right? Um, because like, like um, why not be the best at everything that I possibly can become? So because of that also, like with the entrepreneurship, it's like, let's become as rich as I possibly can. Let's become as faithful as I possibly can. Let's become as kind and generous as I possibly can. Let's make an insanely cool organization so that it can have all of this impact on everyone around me. And so that's become the true why as I've evolved out of needing money and Mm -hmm. needing other things. Yeah, that's that uh, Maslow's hierarchy. Like you're now chasing impact, which I totally get because like until 2013, for me, it was all about the money. Right. And then you start seeing success from other people attributable to you. It's like, man, that feels really good. Yeah. Let's do more of that. 100%. Yeah. I haven't found anything more satisfying than watching someone win. Literally. Literally. Like, I, I, I remember when my first act manager got his first 100K, like, got his first 100K deal. And I'm like, wow, that is a really good feeling. Mm-hmm. That was like the best feeling ever because I'd never, I'd never, because that was like, obviously they had something to do with it. But then also I was like, damn. I can teach people to do this too. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it was a mix of helping them and helping me. What's your biggest struggle today? 
my biggest struggle today, I would say, is how can I grow my organization without me ever getting back into it? So what I'm right now, my biggest struggle that I've been dealing with is um, I'm at like about a team of 10 right now, mm-hmm. um, maybe four or five VAs, um, TC, two act managers, hopefully going to hire a third one, dispo manager, right? All these roles. What keeps blocking me and I'm thinking about, I've thought about different ways of how to solve it is, for instance, uh, at the beginning in June, we had one act manager. He closed all 300 because he was like amazing. He was just a G. He was like a great guy, right? Um, And then, uh, you know, I hire two more act managers. They start coming in. And then that first guy left because he was like, hey, Jonah, it's been great. Learned everything. I'm out. Peace. Mm-hmm. Right. He didn't say it like that. He was like, he was like really wanted to keep a good relationship. Um, but um, I'm realizing my business is vulnerable in the sense that there's like an in-between point where it's like scaled out enough where like if some if one person leaves, somebody could take their role. Um, right now I'm still at that vulnerable point where if someone leaves, either I or Tyler, my business partner, then has to become that role. Um, luckily, we already had two act managers, so it worked out there. But for instance, our TC left just because she was like all commission and she got like offered a 150K job doing like software or something or other. I don't know. I don't know what it was. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, I'm not going to compete with that as a TC. Like, yeah. good for you, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm never going to pay a TC 150K a year, yeah. right? Um, so um, my biggest my biggest struggle, I would say, is how do I make it where my business is always has a backup where it never comes back to me or Tyler. And then that's one. And then two in the sense of how am I going to open up a new market where it's done from like the top down, right? I keep hearing about this, how I should hire a, like, like a, I don't know what to call it, either a COO or an ops manager or like maybe somebody who owns, who's like a admin person for that market who manages a market and then everyone is hired beneath it, right? Um, like, how do I do that? I have no idea. I, how I built the first market was bottom up, right? And I just hire people slowly and then go up. So those are like the two biggest problems that I've been thinking about. Who's suggesting that? Um, uh, other people. I don't know. Do you think that's a bad idea? It's an interesting idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, who was suggesting that? Some of my friends who have done it before, like Sam was one person who suggested it. Um, there was someone other than Sam. I'm trying like, to remember. That's how you would run. Like if you start a new business, that's how you would start it. Right? Yeah, for sure. That's how you start it. Um, for me, I think it's interesting because uh, to start another market, I would probably take some of that. If if we're making enough profit here, then we would take some of that profit to invest in another market. Where I was, I don't know. I, I would build it from the bottom up. You build it from the bottom up. Yeah, because you already have the marketing figured out. You already have the TC market figured out right so what were the differences right is that the marketing would have to change for the market the tc would have to change a little bit for the market right because the process would be different it was escrow state burning state there's some subtle tweaks but to make a whole new unit from the top that scares me yeah i don't know i don't know it is it's a very expensive way to do it and i was like I was thinking about the. And the you have to only, hire a killer from day one. Yeah, you do have to hire a killer from day one. And if you make the wrong hire there, it's dead. Yeah, exactly. So it's just hard because it's like, 
I don't ever, it's like, okay, here's the thing though. Like if I start, if I hire from the bottom up, then, then let's say, okay, I go into that market. I got to hire at least one act manager, ideally two. Maybe we'll need a new TC. I don't know. I don't know if there would need to be another TC or if a TC could handle that. Um, and then I'd have to hire two VAs under them. And then I would either have to hire a dispo manager or have a very competent dispo wholesaler. Mm -hmm. um, but I get scared with relying only on dispo wholesalers, right? So for it to really work, I'd have to hire those at least five people at once, five mm -hmm. or six people at once, right? Um, and at least how I've been doing the act manager stuff now, and you can tell me your opinion on this. This is how Brent does it, and I've started copying Brent on this, was um, he has it where he more or less is like willing to overpay his act managers. He does like a salary and a commission. He does 70K base, 6% commission, right? Which um, hiring two, two act managers and a dispo manager would end up being pretty expensive. And so I just have to do it right, right? Um, so I don't know. It's just like a bit, it's just like an interesting thing of like, is that really how it should be done is just hire everybody immediately. And then also now we have six more employees to manage, right? Out of the blue, we just like almost doubled the employee workforce. Yeah. So just an interesting thing to think about, about like, what's the right way to do it. Yeah. So I recommend a couple of different resources is rigging the game. The book. Okay. Or check that out. Can I bring out my phone and write it down? <laughs> sure. uh, and then we have another podcast, uh, certainty talks, right? Where, like, okay. Paul and I, we talk a lot about like, what's like, What's the next step that you can take that goes that, that goes that that sends you that direction with as little risk as possible? What was the name of the book? Rigging the game. Rigging the game. I'll read it. Yeah. And certainty talks. That's your po another podcast. Yeah. That we said. Yeah, it's all under real estate disruptors. Okay. Yeah. So then, what is your superpower? My superpower. Sorry, I was just writing that down. Um. My superpower, I think. This is something that I, I've started doing way better than I think a lot of people. I could say things like being able to communicate, you know, being able to close deals, all that stuff. I think a lot of people have that superpower, though. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's truly what I do better than anybody else. What I think I do better than anybody that I've seen is the appreciation now because I've mm -hmm. realized how important it is. I think I'm really good at overwhelming people with appreciation yeah. over and over and over again. Like if you ask my act managers or really any of my employees, that's always how I end the conversation. Mm -hmm. No matter, even if I was mad at them, even if I like, I, I mean, I don't do this, but like, even if I was to yell at them, I would never yell at them though. So it doesn't matter. But like, even if, if I was like to have like a confrontation about something with them, I'd be like, by the way, you guys are killers. You guys are absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. Keep crushing it. Yeah. Right. Cause I've realized truly that's what we're missing. I think one of the biggest things we miss in our society, and I think it's what most people want, m not more than anything else, but like one of the key things that people want and they just don't get it. They don't. So I've been, I've been really, I feel like that's now my biggest superpower that's different than other people's superpowers. Like people, because people will hear that, people are gonna watch this podcast and then they're gonna forget. Mm -hmm. like tomorrow they're going to be like and forget to do the appreciation thing yeah. but i'm going to keep doing it forever so yeah that's huge and I, it, it's so profoundly effective mm -hmm. because it is what people want 
It, every, a lot of people yearn for it. And it's so cheap to give. It's insanely cheap to give, yeah. right? Like actually it is takes you five seconds to be like, I appreciate you so much, thank you. The waitress, the waiter, not just your employees, everyone. If you can yeah. do it to everyone, not just the pe- not just to Steve Train because he had me on his podcast, to the people that are just like doing basic things to you as well, mm-hmm. you'll start seeing it change your life. Absolutely. What's your biggest regret? My biggest regret. An interesting one. Um, really, I don't really like. There are things that I can say that I regret, but in the end, I'm really happy that it happened that way because if it didn't happen that way, then it wouldn't have been, I wouldn't be where I am right now, right? Um, If I had to say my biggest regret, especially in terms of business, I would say it was... I don't know. I've been pretty good with business though. So like I would say my biggest regret, if I had to choose one, would probably not would have been partnering up with Tyler earlier. I had been talking with partnering up with Tyler literally January of 2023, but there was like a whole thing where I was like I kept hearing from people don't partner up, it's a bad idea, right? Like all of this stuff and then I eventually realized like in the end my life. Yeah. I got to choose what's right for me and mm-hmm. my even if there were a lot of people around me telling me not to do it, Pace was the only one who told me to do it, very funny enough. Mm-hmm. Everyone else was just telling me, don't do it, blah, 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 blah. But in the end, my gut kept coming back to it. Like, literally, my intuition was mm-hmm. like, everything wrong in your business is going to be solved by partnering up with him. Right. Um, and so probably if I had to choose one, it would have been just being like, screw it, let's do it at the beginning of January instead of um, the beginning, uh, instead, of the, instead of like the beginning of June because I think we would have had potentially like a $2 million a year instead of yeah. a $1 million a year if we had done that. Well, Pace has, does have a really good partnership, so. Yeah, he does. He does. Yeah. He was part of it. Um, and yeah, yeah, so. Sure. Uh, what book have you gifted more than any other? What book have I gifted more than any other? Probably How to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm-hmm. That's the one that I've gifted the most to most people because that, I mean, it's a classic, obviously. Lots of people know it. I just love that book because I think it's one of those books where you don't have to be a business person. Mm -hmm. I think like learning how to communicate and learning how to get what you want by giving first, Mm -hmm. I think that's really what that book talks about is just like all the communication styles of how you should be um, dealing with other human beings in order to get the things that you want and do that and be able to have more friends and be able to um, convince people of how you're seeing things, right? Right. Um, And I feel like that's, I feel like that book for the vast majority of the population is super useful. A lot of the other books I read are really good, but much more geared towards business owners. Mm -hmm. So literally gifted, probably that book. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I want you to think about Last thoughts you want to leave all the listeners with. Make a quick announcement. Guys, if you have value today, again, please subscribe. Rising Tide does lift all boats. We're trying to help as many, uh, help as many people as we can. Uh, we do have our uh, end of the year sales training. I believe it's December 8th. It's a virtual training. Uh, it's going to be a slightly discounted price. Uh, so if you guys have been on the fence at all on the, tra- on the training, keep an eye out. We'll be posting about it on social media. 
Uh, it's going to be, again, I think December 8th is the second Friday uh, of December. So what are some last thoughts you want to leave everyone with? I just want to say thank you, man. Like, again, like, I mean, I said it was my superpower, so I'm going to do it. I appreciate you so much for having me on this podcast. Like, it is pretty crazy. I have envisioned this moment coming on to this podcast for a very, very long time. I remember thinking about it when I was driving for dollars in my car, like being like, man, I am one day going to be cool enough to be on this podcast. There will be a day where I'm on Real Estate Disruptors because I've created such a cool business that I'll be able to help other people out. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to appreciate making that dream a reality because I remember listening, having no money, and just being like, okay, so that's how I do this. That's how I do this. I should use this program, Mm -hmm. right? And so, yeah, man, I just want to end it with like, thank you for having me on. It's freaking awesome. It's cool that I finally got to be on it. Yeah, well, it's my pleasure. And that... That is the vision, right? For everyone that's listening, is one day they'll be on the other side and on the show. And we have multiple people, right? Uh, first one that comes off the top of my is Keith Everett, but we've had um, uh, he was uh, he was only we handed the plaque, right? Uh, we've had him on the show. Like we've had so many people that like I look forward to one day being on the show. And like every time it happens, it's so fulfilling. We were talking about earlier the why, right? Like for me, it's yeah. like man, someone had this dream. The material we put out there helped them accomplish this dream mm-hmm. so that they get to be on this side. Yep. And it's just cool. It's cool because yeah. I know there's some kid out there listening who's driving for dollars, putting it on in their Scion XA, putting it on like the freaking Spotify or or, uh, or iMusic or iTunes music um, and is just going to freaking crush it. And they're going to hear it and be like, no, no, no I'm going to get on that freaking podcast eventually. So yeah. that's, that's it. Awesome. I just appreciate you. Uh, if someone, somebody wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way? So the best way to get a hold of me is just Instagram. Just it's my name. It's Jonah. I know they'll they'll spell it in there. Jonah underscore Corchin. Um, you can DM me. I'm constantly. I'm I I respond myself still to DMs. Right. I don't usually get on phone calls as much anymore. But any questions you guys got, DM me there. Um, if you guys wanna check out my YouTube channel, there's all sorts of cool agent outreach stuff going on there. Soon, you can also check out my podcast, Scorch the Fears, if you want to see. You can check out Steve on it. Steve's on there right now. Um, and you can check out what Steve was afraid of when he was just starting out, if you guys are interested in that. Um, so, yeah, that's the best way to reach out to me. Obviously, you can send me deals in Northern California, Colorado, too. I have Colorado open as well. Um, and uh, I'll buy creative financing deals anywhere. And, yeah, that's how you guys should reach out to me. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks, my man. Appreciate it. Thank you guys for watching. See you guys next time. Steve Train. Jump on the Steve Train. We real estate disruptors.